Welcome to the Magic Weekly Podcast, Tuesday, April 20th. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. The Magic in Atlanta to see the Hawks this evening. 18-39 and 39 now on the year for Orlando as they come off a 114-110 loss to the Rockets on Sunday night at the Amway Center. Coming down the stretch here, the Magic uh, going with a full youth movement tonight. Basically, all of the veterans, with the exception, I guess, of Gary Harris and Dwayne Bacon, uh, will not be with the team even on this trip. It's just a one- uh, one game quick trip up to Atlanta, but uh, the injury report getting long again. Terrence Ross going to be out tonight. He's dealing with back spasms. Otto Porter Jr. is still dealing with uh, soreness in that right foot. Still won't see Michael Carter-Williams and James Ennis out tonight um, as well. So uh, the youth movement is on. Cole Anthony in the starting lineup. Chuma Okiki, Wendell Carter Jr. We're going to see all the kids and we're going to see a whole bunch of them coming down the stretch here. And that's pretty much what it's about uh, these last 15 games or so is getting some experience uh, for RJ Hampton, for Mo Bamba. Good to see Mo back in the lineup, um, in the rotation on Sunday. He's been dealing with a hip contusion. He played really well in that Rockets game. And you just got to see those sort of, you know, baby steps for Mo. He's got to get to the summer, hopefully healthy, and hopefully with some building blocks, um, you know, some progress over these last 15 games. And then he needs a full offseason. And so it'll be anxious. Uh, I'll be anxious to see what Mo looks like as he comes back next year. And hopefully we can use these last 15 games not just as a way to get to the offseason, but a way to build some positive habits uh, for this young Magic core. This is a tough time of year. I mean, at, you know, at 18 and 39, a lot of teams across the league right now with similar in similar record situations uh, are planning their vacations and just sort of going through the motions right now. And we've seen both from the Magic, frankly, over the last week or so. We've seen some really positive, locked-in, engaged uh, performances. And then we've seen, um, you know, some third quarters like we saw on Sunday night against the Rockets where it kind of felt like, uh, the game plan was sort of abandoned and you didn't have the requisite energy and, and hustle to win a game. Um, and this is about pride the rest of the way. It's about building building positive habits, building some camaraderie and some chemistry with the new faces on roster um, and going out there and winning because you're competitive, you know? And I think it, it can be really difficult this time of year. Everybody's banged up mentally, emotionally, certainly physically. Um, but that's what we want to see. We want to see some some progress uh, here the rest of the way, and hopefully the Magic able to get off on the right foot uh, tonight against the Atlanta Hawks. And then the rest of the week, uh, kind of an interesting week. You got some some big names coming into the Amway Center. New Orleans Pelicans, hopefully Zion Williamson will play for the first time against the Orlando Magic, should play. Uh, he is healthy, and they are desperate right now. Stan Van Gundy's Pelicans coming off a loss. So we'll see uh, Zion Williamson and the Pelicans on Thursday night, the Indiana Pacers come in on Sunday, and then the Los Angeles Lakers on Monday, April 26th. Not sure exactly who will be healthy uh, for that one, but interesting set of games. And a whole lot of teams, by the way, can score a whole lot of points. Between Atlanta, New Orleans, and Indiana, that Magic defense is going to have to be locked in over the next couple of days. If nothing else, it would be good practice to kind of sharpen those skills uh, with the young Magic core right now. And as we know, defensively, it's kind of where the lapses have been uh, as of late. So uh, some good tests coming up in the next couple of days, and it starts tonight with the Atlanta Hawks. Hey, Magic fans, the Florida Department of Transportation reminds you that fans don't let fans drive drunk. If you've been drinking, don't get behind the wheel. Instead, find a sober driver or catch a ride service. Remember, drive sober or get pulled over. Have a great night and drive safe. And my guest this week on the Magic Weekly Podcast, you can read all of his stuff at basketballnews.com. He's on Twitter at MattBabcock11, uh, NBA draft analyst for basketball news, also seen on CBS Sports. Uh, HQ, formerly of Babcock Hoops and Sports Illustrated, former NBA agent as well. I think I got it all in there, Matt. Uh, Matt Babcock is my guest this week. Matt, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? 
Hey Jake, I'm I'm doing well. My my head's spinning here here and you talk about uh you know my background a little bit. <laughs> well, take us through it. Uh if you would. Will you just sort of give us the the thumbnail version? You don't have to do the whole LinkedIn profile, but uh how did you get where you are now and and what's your path been like? Uh it's been uh it's been chaotic. I I guess you could say I you know, I was born into a basketball family. You know, my dad, my two uncles have all worked in the NBA for a long time and kind of just grew up, you know, in and around the game and uh, you know, wanted, wanted to be a player, played, played in college, wanted to play in the NBA and didn't quite get that far and knew I wanted to work in basketball and, uh, you know, pursued a, a career in coaching, which was short-lived. Uh, found myself in the agency business, worked for a bunch of different agencies. Ten years went by and uh, decided I wanted to get into scouting and, and somehow f- fell into, uh, into a role where I'm scouting and doing, doing media. And, uh, you know, here I am and running draft coverage for basketball news and, and really just having a lot of fun. Will you just tell me briefly about being an agent? Was it, was it as difficult as it sounds? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's, it's one of those industries where, you know, it's got a major highs and lows. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I I had some great times and and, and some good moments, but uh, you know, dealt with a lot of the negative stuff that's, you know, been portrayed in the media and whatnot. And um, after 10 years of it, I just, you know, push came to shove. I was like, you know what, I I need to get out of this. This is not what I want to do the rest of my life. Um, I get it. <laughs> I, I think anyways, I can't, I can't imagine. I always thought I'd be a good lawyer, but uh, I think probably we both ended up in a good spot here. I mean, it, you guys do great work at basketballnews.com. It's a great website. And, uh, and I think probably sort of striking that balance between, you know, doing what you're passionate about, but maybe something that's a little bit less, um, I don't know, intense, I guess, and the highs and lows like you talk about of being an agent. I just can't even imagine. Um, all right, let's talk, let's talk hoops here. Let's talk the magic. It's been a rough season, obviously. And this is the time of year, Matt. Uh, where teams kind of have one eye on the offseason, especially for young teams like the Magic. You know, the roster was essentially blown up uh, at the trade deadline. From 30,000 feet, give me your assessment, if you would, on the Magic roster, where they are, and where they might be headed. Well, you know, Wellman made, made a big commitment to, to change things up, you know, at the trade deadline, and they, they kind of shipped off a, a lot of their guys. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really looking at rebuilding, which – which, uh, you know, is an exciting but, but scary process. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they've got some nice young pieces. They got some, some big time, uh, you know, draft picks, you know, hopefully come on, come on. I believe one of those uh, high lottery picks is, is, uh, is protected. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting off season for them. When, when you make a decision like that, Matt, um, you know, essentially the decision was made that the ceiling was either either already reached or was going to be sort of like a, maybe you get past the first round of the playoffs with that core in place with Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Vucevic. It was a tough year, no matter what you headed into the season with Jonathan Isaac uh, injured for the year. And then game nine, after a six and two start, Markel Fultz goes down. What is it like to have to, you know, how difficult the decision is that to make? And is it, do you find that most front offices, especially when there's injuries and you go, I'm not even sure exactly what we have in place. Like how hard is it to sort of jump over that ledge and say, you know what, we're going to tear this thing down, especially a few years on, you know, I think, I think when a front office gets hired, it's easy for them to say, I'm going to tear this thing down right now. I'm going to put my imprint on the franchise. Um, But you know, Jeff Weltman and John Hammond have been here for two years. They've built a playoff team or at least got this team back to the playoffs after six seasons. How scary can that be to say, you know what, we're going to tear this thing down. No, it's definitely scary. I mean, there's a saying that goes, you know, something along the lines of, you know, general manager never survives a rebuild, you know, and um, I I don't think that's necessarily true completely, uh, but it's not too far off either. You know, I mean, it's a hard thing to execute and you need some luck. You need some of your draft picks to click, Uh, you know, and we, you know, these NBA teams, they spend, 
you know, what, what like an average of a million dollars a year on scouting. And uh, it, it's still somewhat of a crapshoot because you just don't know how these young kids are, are going to develop. So uh, I think that the first thing is you, you need, if you're the general manager or president, um, you need to make sure your owner's on board. And then also, I mean, you know, getting, getting your head coach on board too. And so it's, it's a hard thing to do because th- there is a lot of cooks in the kitchen, generally speaking. And, uh, you know, from, from the outside looking on in with, with the Magic specifically, it seemed as if they went into the years, you know, kind of with the approach of, hey, let's see what we've got. Uh, and let's decide later. And things just didn't didn't click, you know. I mean, they had some injuries, unfortunate situations, um, you know. And they just they decided to pull the trigger. And uh, you know, I've, Jeff and, and John have been long, you know, family friends. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping it works out for them, and hoping they get that Bulls pick and, and get some good players in because that this lottery this year is pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, take me through it if you would. I, I do want to ask you about the Magic's young core. Um, your your older scouting reports on those guys, but um, just take me through the, the relative strength of the lottery this year, who you like, who you don't like, and who you think might fit with the Magic. Well, the strength comes at the top with, with the top five. Uh, you know, so we've, right now we've got, um, we've got Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, and Jonathan Kaminga as the top five. I, I do think there's a bit of a drop-off after that point, uh, but the, the top five, which you know, Orlando's projected to get the fourth pick right now, uh, and if they if they get the 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 Bulls pick, which I believe is top four protected, yep. that's slotted to get the ninth pick. Uh, so that that number four, uh, that that's the one to to really keep your eye on because I mean that that could get get you in the mix of a, a potential franchise player. Who are you looking at uh, towards the back half? If you're sitting there at nine, who are some guys who might be available who you think might be good fits? Well, I mean, if they have the two picks, I think a lot of it depends on who you take with that, that first pick. Right. Um, you know, I mean, looking at their roster and some of the moves that, that Jeff and, and John have made, uh, you know, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton's in the mix now. You know, they committed a lot of money to Fultz. Uh, so you need, you need some guys that, that will, you know, coexist with what you already have. You know, obviously, you know, you're looking forward for Isaac to return uh, healthy. Um, and so, I mean, I think Scotty Barnes is a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be interesting from Florida State. Uh, he was he just drive down the road, right? Uh, easy commute for him. Uh, but a six nine forward, kind of do it all kind of guy. Uh, you know, he kind of would fit with everybody. That's one guy uh, to keep an eye on with that second pick. Um, Keon Johnson from Tennessee is a guy that that could fit. You know, sort of a, you know big time athlete uh, defender. Um, Franz Wagner from Michigan. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting though. I mean, that that ninth pick. Um, there, there's a, there's a wide range of guys and we always talk about this, you know, every guy we put in like eight, nine, 10 slot, we question, Hey, is that too high for him? You know, but ultimately we need to decide to have somebody go there. And so that kind of goes hand in hand with the drop off that I mentioned. What's your assessment on, um, on upside, like, okay, so the Magic have a young core, right? And, and you can't just have a bunch of kids. I don't think you can do hinky sixers, right? You, you have to have some veterans, but then if you're going to have, a whole bunch of, of younger players, 25 and unders or whatever. Um, as you get to the back of the lottery or maybe late first round, do, are you a guy who you, you think, you know, why don't you look at a three or four year college guy, somebody who comes in a little more polished, maybe the upside isn't necessarily there, but now you're, you know, now you're not waiting three or four years for the, I guess not the finished product for even, you know, having an NBA player. I mean, a 19 year old, it's so hard to expect a 19 year old to come and play in what is a men's league. And then every year we see guys oftentimes late in the first round who stayed in college three, four years, and they're able to make an immediate impact. I just feel like we miss on a lot of guys because people are obsessed with upside. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think, I think people fall into to making like general statements and philosophies too, too often. I, mm. I look at it, at it more case by case and player by player. 
uh, you know, we, we look at all these different variables when we're, we're, we're coming up with like a final evaluation on a kid. Um, and the fact of the matter, these kids that are quote unquote old, we're talking about these guys are 22, 23, 24 right. years old. Exactly. So, I mean, if they're, if they're close to being a finished product, they're, they're still a young prospect with, with, a, with a long shelf life, you'd hope. Uh, so, I mean, a guy like Corey Kispert or, or Davion Mitchell, uh, you know, guys that, that are older, older college players, uh, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be scared to consider them, you know, the, the mid to late lottery. You, you mentioned Mitchell. How much did he help himself with that run? Oh, man, and not even just the run, just the whole season. Yeah. He, he, just, he was terrific. I mean, just – such a such a terrific defender and uh and plays with such a great pace and, and just turned himself into a guy that that was a shot maker uh and a great playmaker i mean we we've gone from having him as a second round pick uh you know early in the season to we've got him at number 10 right now uh so i mean that that kid has helped himself probably as much as, as anybody it's so fun to watch i mean it has got a motor that just doesn't stop how was i wanted to ask you how did the the g league ignite team um I guess, how did it impact the scouting community? I mean, it, it feels like sort of a transformational shift, and we've seen it going back, what, a decade now, I guess, uh, players foregoing college or going overseas, you know, all these different alternatives. Um, and the one-and-done rule is on its way out. We know that. But uh, for you guys, for the, within the scouting community, what did the G League Ignite team bring this year, and, and how much of a resource and asset will it be moving forward? Well, I mean, the first thought is it's kind of it's kind of hard to, to to truly evaluate the G League as a whole right now. This right. is such a screwy year with the pandemic, and so I mean, I you know I'd like to see how it all unfolds next year. Uh, you know, because I mean, they're really you know dealt sort of bad hand, I guess you could say. Uh, but you know, I I feel like I've got a good grip on on those kids. I mean, the film that we were given access to and uh, just the access overall. Uh, you know, I think the sample size was large enough. And, and, and luckily, I, I cover high school stuff as well. And so I had seen all those kids beforehand. And um, yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a good option for, for kids. You know, I, it, it's nice that to see that there's a lot more a lot more options altogether for, for players at all, all levels and uh, the G League being a big part of that. You mentioned high school um, relative strength of draft class over the next like two, three years. Like, is this the year? I mean, I, there's there's we always have a kid one or two years out. Um, that people have their eyes on. Will you tell us a little bit about some of the big prospects coming down the road? And does it feel like it's it's sort of this year's draft class is um, is is up here, and then the next two or three years are are a tier down, or does that just sort of change every day? No, we've got some big time players coming. Uh, I mean, Chet Holmgren, who announced that he's going to Gonzaga yesterday. I, I think that kid's probably the front runner to be the number one pick next year. And very unique. I mean, seven, seven foot plus long wingspan and the kid just does it all. I mean, shoots threes, initiates the break, uh, you know, playmaker, shot blocker. I mean, you name it, the, the kid does it. He, he doesn't look like a player. He, he's about, a, you know, he's seven feet, probably 200 pounds on, on, a, on a good day. And, um, but, but he, he, he's a baller. Um, other guys to keep an eye on, uh, Amani Bates the next year, uh, sort of like in the Kevin Durant mold, like a six, nine shooter score, uh, then we got another international kid, uh, Victor Wembayama. It's coming up in the next couple of years, uh, like a seven-seven-two skilled player. Mm. Um, yeah, so we, we've got some interesting names coming up the, the, these next uh, next few years. As you look at the Magic's young core and and who will add and, and, and sort of slide in nicely um, at the top of this year's draft, you know how are, are you like a? And I'm sure it's not an isolated circumstance, and there's not one answer for everybody, but. Do you just take the best player available regardless of fit if you're picking in the top five? Uh, or do you try to find somebody, who, you know, a, a guard who would fit next to Markel Fultz um, or something similar? What's your take on that? Well, the way I would look at it is, I mean, if the best player available is like clearly head and shoulders the best player available, that, that's one thing. If it's close, 
you know, you do need to look at what you have in place, you know, and kind of identify the way you want to play and how, how a player would fit, how, how we would uh, develop in your system. And then also make sure that you're not stunning the growth of what you have in place already. And so, I mean, you know, with the Magic, you know, they're, they're pretty guard heavy as far as young prospects go. You know, they don't – of all their guys, I don't think any of them are true point guards. So, so maybe that would leave the door open to, to get a guy like Jalen Suggs or Davion Mitchell – um, you know, but it's, uh, it's definitely something that they need, need, need to kind of decide on as a group of, you know, how are we trying to develop each and one of our guys and, and how you evaluate the guys you're looking at as well. Since the trade deadline, Wendell Carter Jr. has been outstanding. And I can't figure out, I mean, on his way out of Chicago, it felt like, you know, Bulls fans, and I realize they're a little bit more harsh on Twitter than, than Magic fans might be, but, you know, they were, it was basically good riddance on the way out. And he has been nothing but a ball of energy. He does all the little things right. He sets screens. Great defensive positioning, boxing out, um, protecting the rim. We've been nothing but happy with, with Wendell Carter Jr. since he's arrived. What, is it something that maybe it just didn't work? He, I mean, he had two different head coaches over two seasons and change in Chicago. Steve Clifford is third head coach in his third season. Um, does it just take a while for things to click, or do you think he's just in a better situation in Orlando? You know, I think it's one of those situations where that, that trade might have, might have benefited everybody involved. And, yeah. you know, the kid, you know, it seemed like things in Chicago had gotten a little stale. And, and so kind of hitting the reset button kind of, you know, from the outside looking on it, it seems like it reinvigorated the kid. And uh, I, you know, I really liked him coming out of the draft. And so, I mean, it's nice to see him have some momentum again and you know, hopefully kind of really, you know, maximize his potential here. What's your take on Chumo Kiki? Oh, you know, I love him. I mean, I loved him at Auburn. It was, uh, you know, when he went down, that, that was devastating. And I, I was glad to see Jeff take, take a chance on the kid. And I, I think he's, long-term he's going to be a good player. Is that – with a kid like that, it's, you know, sometimes I think you can really gain some um, – the mental approach can sort of – you can shorten the development curve if you're injured. Obviously, nobody wants to sit out, and, and it sort of, you know, sets you back. But you pick up the game. If you're a kid like Chuma who sits and watches and learns and um, he's got so much going on between the ears, you know, that can be a blessing in disguise in, in some ways, can it? Sitting out, learning the game and, and, and sort of being mentally prepared by the time you do get on the floor. Oh, yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, going into his draft, I mean, the background work on him, you, you kind of alluded to it. I mean, what, what, what you know, seems like such, such a great kid. And uh, I, I do think, you know, a, a unique plan like that you know, it does take somebody that you can count on that, that's reliable and, and is going to execute the plan. And uh, I think, you know, Jeff identified that Schuma was that guy. And I think it's going to work. What do you think about RJ Hampton? Oh, I'm so intrigued with RJ. I mean, he's got so much upside. Another, another guy that seems like a great kid, just a lot of energy. Um, and he's just got so much athletic talent. I mean, if it, if it clicks with him, I mean, the kid's got some star potential. Yeah, I mean, he's like, we. it's funny. I, I call him tantalizingly talented because it's he's still three or four years off right I mean you can it's still very raw defensively uh he's making mistakes every night and he's got to work through that but you see those flashes I mean he can get coast to coast in a second he can turn the corner in a second um you know how long do you think sort of a the development curve on a guy like that takes like when when should he be um ready to go and and ready to be a starting player I, I realize you can't necessarily put a clock on it but it's just you're just sort of you see the flashes. You're just sort of waiting for it all to click together. You know, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to say just because I mean a lot of times it, it never clicks with kids, right. you know, and so it, you're definitely at risk that he doesn't develop how you, how you hope. Um, you know, I, I I think a couple years is, is probably a, a fair a fair window for him to you know really need you know need to kind of start making some strides. 
uh, for you to be excited, you know, about him and, you know, the value that, that, you know, where he was drafted in the first round. Where, with a guy like that, like, where is it? Is it the, is it the jumper that you see, you know, if he can add the jumper and, um, and sort of, you know, stretch defenses out and then he can get to that, um, that first step, or is it, you know, with a guard like that, I mean, he's a combo guard. Cliff said he's going to try to get him some time at the one uh, before the end of the season. Is it, for R.J. Hampton, is it specifically like a, a, a mental thing? He's just got to sort of wait for the game to slow down for him? Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, he just needs to increase his basketball IQ, his overall feel for the game, decision-making, uh, composure, uh, just, you know, typical young guy type type stuff that, that he needs to work through. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see him be able to, to handle the point a little bit more. I think he's naturally more of a scorer and, you know, athlete. Uh, which naturally would put him off the ball a little bit. Uh, if he's able to actually be a true combo guard uh, and also develop, you know, his, his outside shooting, I, you know, I think his outside shooting mechanics are not bad. He's just not a consistent shot maker. Right. But I do think he's got the potential to be. And so, I mean, he's just, you know, there's not like one glaring hole in his game. He just needs to kind of polish everything, everything yeah. up overall. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly what we see. Um, and it's very exciting. And you're right. I mean, he's a great kid. He's He's got a – He's got a brightness to him. Uh, he's, he's been a breath of fresh air uh, for us. And what's been an otherwise very long season, Matt, uh, for the Magic organization. Before you go, I just wanted to ask you about um, some sleepers, some guys that you really like that maybe nobody's talking about in this year's draft. Uh, let's see here. Um, I think Josh Giddy's a name that's starting to get some buzz. You know, 6'8", uh, sort of a do-it-all, you know, one, two, three um, from Australia. He, he's a good player. I actually interviewed him recently. Uh, seemed like a great kid. I'm, I'm pretty excited about him. Uh, Chris Duarte from Oregon is an older player. Uh, pl- played at a Juco in Florida uh, and, and then was at Oregon the last two years. I really, really like him. Just a t- tough, competitive wing. Shoots, you know, shoots the heck out of the ball and defends. Um, let's see here. Um, a couple of international kids to keep an eye on. Uh, Rocco Perkachin, uh, uh playing for Sabona. Uh, Alpern Sengun from Turkey. Uh, Usman Garuba uh, is playing in Spain. Those are several names that international kids to keep an eye on. Uh, but those are names that, that come to mind. Last thing, um, I had so much fun watching that UCLA team make their run. Are there NBA prospects on that team? I mean, I think uh, um, I think people mentioned Juzang, but it, that team it just seemed like the the sum was more than than the parts. Um, they they played so well together, but then you. I think people go through and they sort of pick it apart and say, um, yeah, it's just a really good college team. What did you see from that group? Yeah, you know, what's funny about UCLA is, go, you know, going into the season or before the season had started, the two guys that I had penciled in the watch was Deshaun Nix, who was committed there that went to the G League. Right. And then Chris Smith Jr., who, who uh, had a season-ending injury early on in the season. And so we kind of wrote them off as being a high-priority team. I, I wanted to see Juzang some more, uh, but, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't consider him being a guy for this year. Um, however, I mean, his, his stretch in March, I mean, that, that was incredible. I mean, a guy with positional size that that's got ability to hit tough shots like that. I mean, you can't definitely can't rule him out. Um, I, I don't know if he's necessarily a surefire guy for, for this year, uh, but he's definitely somebody that, uh, has really come on hotter on our radar that we're taking seriously. Anybody who can play for Mick Cronin can play for my NBA team. That's, that's what I say. I think Steve <laughs> fair, fair probably, probably feels the same way. Right. Uh, Matt, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Maybe we can catch up down the road. Okay. Yeah, sounds great. Keep in touch. All right, absolutely. There he is, Matt Babcock. Follow him on Twitter. It's at Matt Babcock 11 uh, NBA Draft Analyst, Basketball News, CBS Sports HQ. Uh, and make sure you definitely read all of the, the uh, draft content at basketballnews.com. They're doing a phenomenal job. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast. We'll have another one next week. Until then, stay safe, everybody. Stay safe, everybody.